And this morning, as we pause our study of Luke, um, particularly to to focus on the birth of our Lord, I want to come at the birth of our Lord um, by considering one of the titles the Lord Jesus Christ is given, and that is the firstborn. I think it's significant in informing our understanding of who he is. Now, sometimes Jesus is simply referred to as the firstborn. Now, we hear him this way in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven into God, the judge of all, the spirits of righteousness made perfect. So in one sense, we're gathering as the assembly of the firstborn. And yet this title ascribed to Jesus, I think, is applied in at least three ways. And so at the brief time of this morning, I'd like to consider Jesus as the firstborn. And our first consideration is Luke 2, 1 through 7, where we see plainly Jesus is the firstborn of Mary. And Pastor Daniel already read, but we will read again Luke Chapter 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Jesus, firstly, we see, is the firstborn of Mary. And when we speak of him this way, we're emphasizing his humanity, Jesus was, to put it quite simply and plainly, born of the Virgin Mary. But that is truly remarkable. The second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, grew in the womb of a fallen, sinful woman, was birthed with all the pain and uncomfortableness associated with that. His umbilical cord was cut, and he entered into our humanity. Um, to put simply, in the birth of Jesus from Mary, as we consider him as the firstborn of Mary, we, we emphasize that Jesus was truly and fully human. Jesus is truly and fully human. He did not appear human. He did not look human only. He was human. As we heard earlier from the cantata, I was surprised at how many of the passages the cantata was quoted are in this morning. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's this aspect of Jesus as firstborn that we tend to emphasize most at Christmas. Mary would go on to have other sons and daughters. In Luke's gospel, we're introduced to them obliquely. In Luke 8, 19, his mother and his brothers came to him. They could not reach him because of the crowd. And so at Christmas, in particular, we emphasize the humanity, the humility, the meekness, the gentleness, the mildness of our Lord and Savior. Now, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. 
is in Colossians chapter, sorry, Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, we're introduced to two other distinct usages of this phrase that I hope will inform our understanding of this baby in the manger. Part of what makes Christmas so amazing is we have both the humanity and the deity of Christ. Here is this child who is so much more than human and mortal, but not less. And in Colossians chapter 1, we will pick it up in verse um, 13, we see what is viewed as an early Christian hymn. The, the Greek takes on a poetic meter. We're not sure whether Paul composed this, whether Paul adapted this, or whether Paul cites it outright. And it has some of the highest exalted language of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Then here is the hymn portion, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers with all authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so you can see the next two uses of firstborn. Number two here, we're looking at first, the firstborn of all creation. Um, Paul refers to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. And the first thing we need to understand here is, here, we're not speaking of firstborn in regards to temporal order. If you take it that way, then you end up with the, the sort of the Mormon understanding of Jesus, that Jesus is the first created being that God made, the greatest created being that God made. I believe that's the current Mormon understanding. That is not, emphatically not, and if you just keep reading Colossians, what Paul is speaking of here, but he means firstborn in the sense of preeminence. We can speak of first temporally, but we can also speak of first in regards to priority. So when Jesus says, what is the first and greatest commandment? He's not saying, what is the first commandment that occurs in Genesis? That would certainly be do not eat. He means first is the greatest, the most important, the most prominent. And so Jesus is spoken of here as the firstborn of all creation, meaning as he stands in relationship to all creation, he is the one who is preeminent. And Paul goes on to give five reasons, at least, why Jesus is preeminent, supreme. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then he introduces explanations by the word for, backing up. Why is he the firstborn of creation? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible 
and invisible. So the first reason why Jesus is called rightly the firstborn of creation is he is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. And, and Paul is emphatic when he means all. He means all in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things you get the emphasis here. He means every last molecule. He means every last spiritual being. He means all things were created by the firstborn. So go back to the manger. Mary with this babe in her arms is the one who made Mary, who made the manger, who made the stars. He made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He is the creator of all things. John chapter 1 verse 3, again, it makes this point emphatically. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Notice the way that Jesus is excluded from that list. It becomes clear. Jesus is not created because John makes it clear. If anything is created, it's created by Jesus. So if you conclude Jesus is created, then he's self-existent because he made himself. Jesus is the firstborn because he is preeminent. His preeminence is seen in the fact that he is the creator. Secondly, point C, he is the purpose of all things. Not only is he their source, he, he made them, and they were made through him. But notice that next little preposition in verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. What is the purpose of this podium, of this platform, that seat? It exists for the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of Alpha Centauri? What is the purpose of each and every snowflake? They exist not simply from him. They do exist from him, but they exist for him. This is the sense of preeminence, radical preeminence. Our Lord Jesus, this baby in the Stall created all things and all things exist for him. That's one of the reasons why you can never really rightly understand anything unless you see it in relationship to God. You can understand all sorts of subjects and aerodynamics, but if you don't understand them as existing for and from the Lord Jesus, you really don't understand them as you ought. This is part of the basis why we're called to do all things for the glory of God, whether we eat or drink, because all things exist for the glory of the Lord. He is the purpose of all things. Another way in which we see his preeminence, point D, is he pre-exists all things. Verse 17, he is before all things. I love John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the, the form of the Greek verb is literally in beginning, the word was being. As far back as you can go, there is the word ising, for lack of a term. No matter how far back you go, there is the word being. He never comes into being. He is always being. And so Jesus is preeminent. He is the firstborn of creation because he is its creator. He is its purpose. He preexists it. And finally, point E, because he sustains all things. You see, his relationship to creation, it comes from him. It exists and continues to exist through him. It is ultimately will glorify him. He is before it and he upholds it. 
In him, all things hold together. Why is there any order in this universe? Why do the billions and billions of atoms that hold us together stay together? Because the Lord Jesus upholds all things. Hebrews 1.3 says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is indeed Mary's firstborn, the humble, the meek babe in her arms. But he's also the firstborn, not just in relationship to Mary, but in relationship to all creation as the ultimate preeminent one to receive all glory and all honor for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. In that way, we can speak of Jesus as the firstborn, Mary's firstborn, the firstborn of creation. And our passage gives us one other way to speak meaningfully of Jesus as the firstborn. That is the firstborn from the dead. Pick it up in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now here, I think the title firstborn, this is a title not just given to him by Paul, but the Apostle John in Revelation 1 introduces the letter this way. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That's a title Paul gives to him. It's a title John gives to him. Now, what do we mean here? Well, I think actually we mean both temporal order and preeminence. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead temporally and in position and preeminence. So let's look at this first with temporal. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in temporal order, which simply means he is the first fruits of the dead. He's the first resurrected man. Now you might pause and say, well, hold on. Didn't Elijah raise the widow's son? And Jesus in Luke's gospel has already raised at least two people. Yes, but all those people who were raised eventually died again. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, being raised incorruptible. Paul says this in Acts 26, Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Jesus, in a sense, is born, reborn at the resurrection. It's somehow fitting that at Christmas time or at the resurrection of Luke's gospel because we can speak of the resurrection as a birth of sorts of Jesus. He's the firstborn of Mary. He's the firstborn of creation, and by virtue of the resurrection, he is the firstborn of the dead. First in temporal order, being the first fruits of the dead, which further means then that his resurrection models our own. He's the prototype, if you will. And if you wonder, what will it be when we are raised? How will we be? We are assured we will be like him. In Philippians 3, 20 to 21, our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in chronological order, and he's the first of many to follow. The hope that we have is the hope of resurrection, that we will be transformed into the glory of his body. We, our bodies will be transformed and changed just as his was. His resurrection models ours, and finally, his resurrection guarantees ours. His, his rebirth, his resurrection models what ours will be like, but it also guarantees ours. And we're told this repeatedly in Scripture that just as God raised Jesus from the dead, so he will raise us. God means to keep his promise to raise us, those of us who have faith in Christ. And the proof of that is him raising Jesus. Listen to the language of Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus is the firstborn of the dead temporally, and also this passage emphasizes again in preeminence. So Jesus is preeminent in the creation as its creator. We're also going to see Jesus is preeminent amongst the new creation as its redeemer. We're told he is the head of the church. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. How did Jesus become the head of the church? By redeeming his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There would be no church if Jesus were not the firstborn from the dead. And in his resurrection, he redeems his people. He becomes the head of the church. And he receives preeminence in that way as well. If you're a Christian today, you owe God worship, firstly, because he made you. Secondly, because he redeemed you. And we've been studying specifically this in Luke's gospel in recent weeks. Jesus dying on the cross, bearing the sins of his people as a substitutionary atonement. Receiving the due penalty for our sin. And the resurrection is the proof that the payment was accepted, that our sacrifice was sinless. Death could not hold power over him. He is the head of the church. Listen to this language in Ephesians 1. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's the firstborn of Mary. He's the firstborn of all creation, and he's the firstborn of the dead. And this gives him immense preeminence. He becomes the head of the church. And notice again, this... The firstborn title in relationship to Mary emphasizes Jesus' true humanity. Here, it emphasizes his true deity. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is one who is fully human, birth of a woman, and truly and fully God. The, the Apostle Paul, in the beginning of his letter to the Romans, emphasizes this dual sort of sourcing or 
identity of Jesus. Listen, listen to this in Romans chapter one. Concerning the son, verse three, who is descended from David according to the flesh and who is declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. God declared decisively who Jesus was already prior to the resurrection. That this is my son proven in the resurrection, being the firstborn from the dead. He is truly and fully God And in that title, Firstborn from the Dead, Paul also entails the the notion of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, and that is he has reconciled all things in heaven and earth. Notice that parallelism, all things in heaven and earth. And through him, verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven. Up in verse 16, for by him all things are made in heaven and earth. There's the parallelism of the poem, the song, or hymn. Jesus didn't die for no reason. He died that he might redeem and reconcile. If there's anything in this world that's reconciled, it is reconciled by Jesus, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He was born a man, and he was born, firstborn of Mary, even as he is the firstborn of creation, that he might become the firstborn of the dead redeeming and saving us. All this tied up in that title, all this encapsulated in that baby in Mary's arms. The firstborn of Mary, the firstborn of creation, and the firstborn of the dead. This is why there's so much to worship and adore. And turn with me finally to Revelation chapter 5. Those second two themes of of. God being praised first as creator, the honor and glory and preeminence for that, and then the honor and glory for redemption. We see both of these sung in praise to the Lamb. We'll close here this morning. I'll just pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Revelation. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Is there anyone worthy, anyone with the honor, anyone with the preeminence? Well, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, 
And by your blood, you ransomed people to God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Jesus is worshiped as the firstborn from the dead. And at the end of Revelation chapter four, he is worshiped as the firstborn of creation. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. So I would encourage you this Christmas season when you consider Mary's firstborn to also consider that this one who is her firstborn is the firstborn of creation. He is the reason all things exist. He is their purpose. He is their goal. They exist by him and through him and to him. And he is also the firstborn of the dead by which we have hope of salvation. I mean, he would reserve honor and glory and worship if you were only the firstborn of creation, but we would have no hope being sinful. We would have no gospel being unrighteous, but because he is also the firstborn of the dead, we have one who has stood in our place and we are rightly called the assembly of the firstborn. Let's close in prayer and pray that God would help us to honor Christ in our hearts this Christmas season. Lord God, um, broaden and stretch our understanding of who your son is. We, we marvel at the meekness, we marvel at the gentleness, the humility in the incarnation. The, the Lord Jesus became human in flesh, became a baby. But help us also to remember that this firstborn of Mary is also the firstborn of creation. He created us. He sustains us, and we exist for his purposes and glory. And let us also rejoice and marvel in the truth that he who is the firstborn of creation has become the firstborn of the dead. We may have confidence that just as you raised him from the grave, so you will raise us. And as he is, we will be like him that he might receive all glory and all honor and all praise for his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.